you like sports talk with absolutely no sports talk, then welcome back to the latest edition of the Just Not Sports podcast. This is the show where a couple guys who work in sports talk to the people who play and cover sports about anything they like that's just not sports. I am your host, Brad Burke. I am sheltered in place in Chicago, wishing you, your family, your friends, whomever, uh, the best of health and happiness as we continue to just navigate whatever stage of this that we're in. And excited to just deliver you a little bit of a distraction today from the realities of the world. My guest today, a legendary chronicler of the culture of basketball, of sneakers. That's right, Mr. Russ Bankson. You know him for his work over the years at places like Slam, Complex, maybe GQ. We're going to talk about that here today. Because I saw an article that he did not long ago when we were first all kind of getting quarantined about his collection of watches. And specifically, the role that winding some of these watches plays in his new routine while he's at home like everybody else during this time. I was fascinated by it, saw it, and just kind of instantly said, hey, let's get on the phone. Let's talk some watches. (laughs) And so that's what we're going to do. It's a really interesting conversation that talks about his taste. Uh, Again, Russ, someone who's known for his insanely thorough sneaker collection. So he gets kind of open about how, you know, he wouldn't even mind maybe unloading some of those, pivoting to going after some of his favorite retro and vintage watch designs. But we talk about his personal taste, the roles that uh, watches play, not only in his sense of style, but in his, um, as we mentioned, everyday routines and rituals. And then Russ is doing a new podcast about the new ESPN documentary on Michael Jordan. The show is called After the Last Dance. It's him and Alex Wong doing a 10-part series, one episode per episode of the documentary. It's presented by Soul Savvy, After the Last Dance. We talk a little bit about Michael Jordan memories because he's someone who has been there from the start in terms of covering Jordan's career and its legacy and what it means. Couldn't think of a better authority on the topic to just kick a, kick the tires on MJ here while he is essentially viewing comfort food for America. <laughs> and then after the interview, my co-host Gareth Hughes, you know Gareth, in treatment for cancer, living in Brooklyn with his family, working, getting by, he's doing good. He and I were trading notes. Everyone's talking about the 90s or talking about MJ. What if we get on the horn and put together our own 90s mixtape? So this was one of those exercises that begins with good intentions and ends with me and him going way too long about everything from Jane's Addiction to the Toadies. Stick around for that. But first, we're talking watches. We're talking MJ with Russ. Enjoy. All right, so I I am excited to talk watches. I I was very um I was very intrigued and moved by the piece that you had um you know in GQ about uh you know just you know the watches you own, watch winding. So I'm very excited to get into that. I do want to start with the podcast coming because 
if you're like me, you've noticed that this uh, ESPN MJ docu- uh, documentary is, is, is reaching Super Bowl level <laughs> levels of hype, my friend. And you've got a new podcast after the last dance that will be. Are you just going to come out with these like each night after the uh, after the episodes air, or how are you going to do the format? Yeah, they're going to come out. They're going to release the night after the episode. Um, we fortunately um, have gotten access to screeners through Netflix, so oh, nice. I have I haven't I haven't watched them yet, but we are going to be able to watch them in advance and then have things recorded and hopefully edited by the time the actual episodes air. So. This weekend, we'll kick right off with episodes one and two, which I am eagerly awaiting seeing. Yeah. Uh, I did watch that little five-minute clip that ESPN posted today. Um, as a Bulls fan from that era, I am very much looking forward to seeing the behind-the-scenes stuff about Jerry Krause. I feel bad for Jerry a little bit, or felt <laughs> bad for Jerry, but at the same time, uh, man, you don't, you don't really want to antagonize Jordan and Pippen at the time that seemed like a really bad idea well let me ask you how much do you think we're going to learn new information new context about those teams versus this being sort of just a fun trip down nostalgia lane you know i think it's going to be even parts of both um the crazy thing about that era even into the late 90s was we only really heard what teams wanted us to hear or what you know, what the limited media back then could give us. And I guess that's a little insane to say because obviously the the Bulls in the late 90s recovered as heavily as any team was back then. But, you know, it's funny what we learn to take for granted and how, you know, how social media obviously has opened things up so much. You know, it's like, we see so much more of LeBron's life than we ever saw of Jordan's. So, right. you know, I, I think while we're certainly going to get the, the fun memory lane stuff and, um, you know, rewatching moments of that Bulls jazz series that everyone of that era remembers, um, we didn't have that practice access or that shoot around access that now is kind of taken for granted. So it, it's going to be, for me, like I'm just gonna love seeing all the things I didn't get to see back then. Do you have a favorite Jordan story? You know, it's hard to pick just one. I mean, there, there's <laughs> so many. Like, I guess for me personally, it was actually getting to have personal interactions with him because, you know, I went from being a fan. I I became a Bulls fan in the '80s when Jordan first joined the team and. Part of that was the fact that the WGN Superstation was airing games, so you could actually see Bulls games even out of their local area. I was on Long Island, um, you know, and then to go to to get a job with Slam in the '90s, and you know, be able to go to All Star games, be able to go to uh, to Finals games, was just such a crazy experience for me. Um, you know, becoming, getting into basketball media or sports media and being able to cover your hero growing up at his pinnacle was just so insane. I mean, I remember there there was an all-star practice media session in, I believe this was in New York in 98. And I actually yelled something out about asking whether he was still wearing the Carolina practice shorts. And <laughs> got a very 
strange look from him and, you know, did get a response. And I, I think I followed that up. I don't, I wish I had it on tape, but, and I probably do somewhere, but asking if they were the, still the same pair and that got the super odd look. And I forget exactly what the answer was, but um, no, but there, there were just, there, there were just so many moments, you know, I still have distinct memories of like going into the locker room at the garden before that all-star game and looking at his Jordans in his locker and just, you know, it was stuff you didn't see, you know, right, it, right. Now, like that would just be an Instagram post by someone. You would see it online before you even saw it in real life. But back then, like you had to actually, you know, cherish those moments you got to live because you weren't going to see them any other way. Well, enough, MJ. We're all looking forward to the podcast. Um, that's going to be awesome. I'm looking forward to the documentary, but we are not here to talk about that. Uh, this is, we're watch headquarters uh, as far as you're concerned, my friend. Because I did see the article in GQ where you talk about just the, the role kind of watches play, not just in your life, but in your sort of everyday routine and, and the new normal that we have to it. So I definitely want, there's a lot to break down here, but I, I kind of want to start at the beginning in terms of, I was trying to piece together like you're just your sort of history with watches. Are, are you someone that kind of fashions yourself as a collector of them? Is it just sort of a, a personal sort of passion point or is it something that is uh, just maybe has accumulated over the years and you sort of care for them. I, I was kind of wondering where you are with, with, with watches overall. You know, I, I guess if I had to define it, I would look at myself as an aspiring collector. Okay. I mean, I definitely do not have the, uh, the, the assets even to really get into it at the point where like, I mean, you look at the people at people who actually hardcore collect watches and it's like, man, you know, that, that, that's a, a financial and time <laughs> and everything else, you know, um, effort that I'm definitely in no place to make or yeah, to, to really deal with it at that level, you know, at the same time, obviously there's levels of it and just having a few watches and a few, you know, sort of curated ones does make you a collector. So in that sense, you know, I am one, but, um, there's always different levels to get to. And, I don't know. I think I just have have a collector tendency. Right. You know, it's like I don't believe in just having one of something and being like, okay, that's fine. Like when I get into something, I have a tendency to uh, to really chase it. Um, you know, which is something that I don't even know where you would have said it started. You know, obviously I was into baseball cards as a kid who wasn't. And then that kind of grew into sneakers and books and T-shirts and jerseys and whatever else. So, you know, I think once watches became a subject of fascination, that ended up being something I was going to chase in a similar fashion. I know that mindset. My wife deleted my eBay account because I was buying too many old like 90s jerseys that for like $8 a pop. And she's like, dude, no, you're done. <laughs> it does make it far too easy to chase certain oh, things. Oh, I know. I know. Well, I'm sort of a like a watch novice. You know, I've got a couple. Um, I like them. But if you just kind of said to me, what are the elements of a great watch or what are the brands you should be looking at? Um, I wouldn't know. So I kind of want to pepper you with some of those types of questions. And I guess I'll start there to you and knowing a lot of watches are different. What are the, what are the things you look for in terms of a, just a great timepiece that you feel like if, if I'm going to invest in this or it's, it's going to be something I want to put on my wrist, it's got to check these few boxes. 
Well, I mean, it's interesting for me because I feel like a lot of the way I look at sneakers has kind of affected how I look at watches. So, hmm. you know, I, I kind of like from a sneaker standpoint, you know, with Jordans or something like I'm not really chasing the super limited edition just because they're valuable or just because um, of a collaborator or a limited edition. Like I kind of want the things that Jordan wore on court. So by the same token, I think if I look at watches, I'm looking for something that has some sort of historical significance. You know, some of the ones I mentioned in that piece on GQ were these Hoyer chronographs and they're, they're not originals. It's a remake that came out as a 30th anniversary of this Carrera, which was their earliest racing chronograph. And as a kid who grew up reading my dad's old road and tracks and old car and drivers and like looking at the old Ferrari racers and stuff like that, that Hoyer Carrera is a watch that really speaks to that time. And, Mm -hmm. you know, sure. I'll never get a chance to drive a sixties Ferrari at the Nürburgring or wherever, but (laughs) I could strap on this watch and, you know, sort of get some of that feeling kind of the same way. Like I'll never get to play at Chicago stadium against Larry Bird, but I can lace up a pair of Air Jordan ones. And if it's the same color way Jordan wore, like get a little bit of that feeling. So, um, you know, to me, that's where a lot of that comes from. I look at, you know, an ultimate and, I might be jumping a question here, but, you know, for me, one of the aspirational watches I look at is an Omega Speedmaster, Hmm. which, you know, I didn't know about as a kid, certainly, but as I've kind of gotten into that watch world more, it's like, oh, okay, this was the one that NASA tested and approved for space travel. And this is one that astronauts wore even before that, you know, one that they went and bought and wore it as a tool watch in space. And, you know, unfortunately, it's a little less accessible than it would have been in the 60s or 70s. Um, prices have commensurately risen. But, you know, that's something I look at where it's like, you can put this same thing on your wrist that guys wore along with their spacesuit to climb in an Apollo capsule, mm. which to me is like kind of incredible. Where do you... Like, where do you sort of source inspiration for watches to find? Are, are there places you go online? Is it something you just kind of run into here? I mean, look, we're all living at home right now. So it's not like you're <laughs> going to the store much anymore and you're just kind of running into something that you find somewhere. But are you someone that's kind of like looking at certain like vintage areas for watches to to find and invest in? Or is it just um, are there places that you that that are that you turn to for inspiration or to, to kind of see what else is out there? Yeah. I mean, obviously a lot of that comes from online now, you know, there are accounts I follow on Instagram. There's a Hodinkee, which is probably the best watch blog on the internet. And one of my favorites, um, there's a one called Fratello that I get, they send like a, basically a daily email with their news pieces. Um, there's a couple of sites I look at as well where it's mostly window, you know, virtual window shopping. There's uh, HQ Milton and Lunar Oyster, both whom have like really nicely curated um, vintage selections that are generally all out of my price range at this point. But, um, you know, never hurts to look around. And, you know, <laughs> not, not, to, uh, 
bring up the personal point of contention, but eBay, you know, it's like you can always just kind of, you know, I have a very wide ranging um, search parameters that I check out fairly often. And um, it's funny, I said it to someone at one point and realized it would be a good rap lyric, but my watch list is virtually all watches, you know, like... (laughs) There were there was certainly a period, and, and I do have a few jerseys scattered in there, and a few pairs of sneakers, and like I, I still look at vintage shoes on there too. But um, yeah, I mean, over the past few years, if you graphed it out, watches have definitely um, taken over my timeline. Is there a certain era that you think is just like that you tend to gravitate toward? Um... Or a certain style that it always kind of catches your attention? I mean, style-wise, I, I do love a good chronograph with the multiple dials, um, whether it's two or three. And it just has the extra pushers. You know, like, I, I sort of like a, a complicated watch like that. Otherwise, I tend towards the super simple and just a time only um, without the date wheel, which partially because this period of being home and like winding and whatever else it's like man i don't want to reset dates like this is uh, i can check a date anywhere (laughs) like i would rather just have a watch i can look at and know what time it is and that's it like just give me that simple function um and i guess by the same standpoint and it goes back to the the um the speedmaster and the space watches and the the racing chronographs I, I guess I tend to go for the the 60s and, you know, maybe to a degree the late 50s too, where it's like just simple hand winding, you know, when a watch was a legit real tool, you know, something right. you bought for an actual purpose. And where does color come into play for you? Are you really thinking about the color of the watch versus everything else that goes into it and just sort of being like, yeah, of course, with something this great i would just wear it with whatever because it's it's sort of a signature piece of of what's on my body yeah i mean not a lot for me when it comes to color i mean i think especially if you go back to those 60s watches too like a lot of it is basically either black or silver um and steel you know i'm certainly not at a point where i'm ready to dip my toes into into gold anything um that said the one watch i have that definitely stands out as far as being Super different color is this Seiko Pogue, which is named after a, uh, oh man, and I'm going to totally space on his uh, military um, title or service, but it's another watch that was basically worn into orbit, and it's a Seiko, so it's a lot more accessible. I mean, you could find one for a couple hundred bucks, and this one sort of has a, a, you know, a yellow gold dial, so it really jumps out compared to a lot of the super utilitarian black dial or um, silver. It's on your Instagram. I would advise everyone to go check it out. I've, I was looking at this while you're talking. And I, I, that was one that, that I jumped off the kind of the screen for me. Cause you, you do share, you have shared a couple of pictures of some of the watches that you own. How many do you actually have at this point? Not to put you, you know, on the spot. Good... If it's like, if it's like 10,000 or whatever, you don't have to feel bad. We're all good. All yeah, friends no, are. it's no one. It's nowhere near there. I mean, I would say it all told it's probably somewhere around 30 and that's including like six or seven or eight swatches and, you know, various other things like basically anything I have that goes on the wrist. Um, and like, it, it, it's funny, like, cause I always get asked about how many pairs of sneakers I have. And 
the watches obviously pale in comparison to that. And, you know, even some of my thinking has been, I've been sort of talking more about than doing, but liquidating a good portion of the amount of sneakers I have, because I, I do not need this many. And <laughs> it, it does make more sense to kind of turn some of that into cash and turn some of that cash into a couple more watches because watches take up a lot less space. They don't deteriorate over time and they certainly retain, if not gain value as time goes on. I mean, I, I don't, I guess I don't really like to, or I don't advise people, you know, look at these things as investments because I think then you get caught up in worrying more about what's going to, um, rise in value than what you actually enjoy. Um, I think the safest thing to do is if you spend money on something to assume that money is gone, not that that money is just <laughs> being held and, you know, in some sort of escrow until you convert it. Um, but yeah, I mean, I look around at shoes and stuff and it's like, well, I don't know when I'm going to get around to wearing these, but it is nice to, you know, have a different watch for different well, there's different feelings. I mean, I, I don't know. Everything seems to go with anything with these, but, um, you know, there are certain things I look to as like aspirational and it's like, well, I have all these sneaker boxes and some of these can be converted into that. Uh, if you want to see a watch go down in value, just wear it around my kids for an afternoon. They will uh, <laughs> scratch and nick the hell out of it, my friend. <laughs> let me let me talk to you about one of the things about your piece that I thought was great was you did talk about the role that winding watches plays in your daily routine and, and even how you were, you know, sort of looking inward about how that's changing here as we've been under lockdown the last few weeks. So help me understand the watches that need or require winding, like what is the, you would like in my head, I imagine, okay, we've moved beyond that. We, we don't need it, but it does it serve a, a, a better functionality or is it just sort of an old retro feel that people like? Um, why, why would someone invest in a watch that you kind of hand wind? I mean, you know what? I almost look at it as, and as someone who, lives a lot of time in the city and, you know, hasn't spent a lot of time owning a car. It's almost like a car. I mean, it's something mechanical that you can care for that if cared for properly should last you your entire life. I mean, you know, you could almost look at it as a mechanical Tamagotchi, you know, it's like yeah. you take care of it, it, it survives. And it's something you can point to, but it, but it's also almost like jewelry where it's like, it's something that is so, precise and so carefully assembled and, you know, is made to provide this one function and does it impressively well, obviously, depending on whether you have it serviced and how, I guess, how accurate it is from the beginning. But, um, you know, I look at some of these and it's just remarkable how they just maintain for months at a time with such limited adjustments needing to be made. Um, and you know, I know you can check your time with, with your phone or whatever else at this point, but I, as I'm sure many other people do, will pick up my phone to look at what time it is. And then three hours later, I'm still scrolling through Twitter being like, what am I doing? <laughs> right. You know, at least with your watch, you're very limited, you know, <laughs> you check the time and that's it. You talked a little bit about the role that winding watches kind of plays in your daily routine. What, what does that provide you? Is there a sort of a sense of 
I don't want to say I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I, I was imagining that it's a sort of a soothing thing to do or or something that allows you to uh, not meditative, but like just it's something to do while you maybe think about something or contemplate something. Uh, can you help us break down like just the role that um, that winding watches plays for you personally and, and, and what motivated you to write the piece? Because I, I did I did find it very intriguing. I mean, I think, you know, I, I don't think that's wrong. I mean, I think it is a little bit of a meditative practice. And meditation is something I've, it's, it's I hate to even say it because I'm going to say like I've been meaning to establish a meditation practice for a long time. And of course, the answer to that is, well, all you need to do is do it. But for some reason, I always seem to have problems with that. So the watch winding does sort of provide that gap. You know, it does provide that little bit of breathing room when you're not obsessively scrolling Twitter or staring at a blank Google document, wondering what the hell you're going to fill it with. Um, you know, you just concentrate on doing that and whether it takes, you know, maybe it's five minutes at the start of the day, but it's a nice little five minute gap between panicking over one thing and panicking over something else. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think, you know, as for why I wrote it, I'd done a couple things for GQ and it had been a few months since I'd written something. And I was thinking, you know, we're all stuck here. Like I've been meaning to pitch something else. Like what can I pitch? And, and all of the normal things, you know, writing, writing about material objects when we're all caught up in this, and we're all stuck at home and we're all stuck without people we care about, you know, it all seemed so meaningless you know it's like now's the time you look around your house at stuff you bought and just think like well that was stupid and <laughs> I, I don't know i mean i think it was trying to look at familiar things in a new way and hmm. it was also something i had recently just started doing i mean i had cleared off a space to sit and write and you know like i wrote in the piece my apple watch is off to one side and i think i had a couple watches sitting on the other side. And I kind of just went where I had a lot of the mechanical pieces and pulled a few more out until it kind of filled that. And I, I guess, you know, it wasn't even an intentional thing to begin with. I mean, I picked one up and wound it and wound the next one and wound the next one. And it just became, you know, part of my morning routine. Yeah. I mean, it was, it, it, it was, it was really interesting to see that because I, I, I kind of am in that same spot where it's like, I don't think I know that I've left the house, you know, uh, you know, all that much in the last four weeks. And you start to find these like new aspects. I like what you said about just like, you know, sort of finding a new meaning or sense of purpose in the things that are in front of you. The one more question I wanted to ask about something you mentioned in the piece was a watch that was um, owned by your father that you that you have there. And I'm someone who lost yeah. my father like uh, he died 12 years ago and I am now oh, in a possession sorry. of this ring he wore his whole life. And I always kind of laugh because it's this kind of gaudy, hideous ring. His 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 <laughs> his uncle owned a jewelry store, so it's you know something like that that someone gave him in the '60s, and he just wore the rest of his life. But I, when I dig it out, it's got such a meaning to me. Like I wear it during his birthday. When I sh I give it to my daughters, they're like captivated by it because they know that I treat this like it's an embodiment of him. Your 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 father's watch. Like, do do you kind of have that same sense? Is it like having a piece of someone there with you? Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is. And it's a reminder, you know, of kind of where he is now and like what he's dealing with and the same thing. And it's, it's, 
it's funny because, and I don't really think of it as, as a, a metaphor or anything, but it's funny that it's the one watch that I have down there that is battery powered. So it's like, you know, the one I don't <laughs> have to pick up every morning and shake or wind to get going. It, it just keeps going. So, you know, hopefully there is a little symbolism in that, but, um, yeah, I mean, primarily it is there just to see it and as a reminder and, you know, just to think about. So just to close out, you already mentioned like maybe, you know, one type that you want. Is there like the, the pure dream watch that you, you see in a store, like, you know, the, the, the devil opens up needful things and you pop in, you see it on the counter and you go, okay, I have to, I have to get it. Like what, what's your ultimate kind of fantasy watch you could grab? Oh man. I mean, you know, it's hard. I mean, I could almost categorize different things, but if I were to pick one, I would say the the, the Rolex Explorer from the 60s. It, it went into the 80s, I think, mm. but I would say 60s or 70s. And same thing. I mean, it was one of those things where back when it came out, it was a stainless steel Rolex that you basically couldn't destroy. And it had numerals at, at 12, 6, 9, 3, time only, you know, the most simplistic, a 36 millimeter case, which is like, right in the sweet spot for me, medium size. And it's like, I don't know, people talk about one watch collections. And to me, that's one that you wouldn't need anything else. Would I still have other things? Of course. Um, but yeah, I mean, Leland Gaunt opens his shop in town and we get unsequestered <laughs> in your shop. Yeah, that, that's what I'd be looking Great, for. great character name pull. You know, I got to give you all the credit <laughs> in the world. If I drop needful things, I'm feeling pretty proud of myself. You go right to the guy. I love it. I have I have read Stephen King's uh, collected <laughs> works far too many times for my own good. That's so. your that's your next appearance on Just Odd Sports. We'll get we'll go heavy into the uh, into the King uh, multiverse. Oh, I'm a hundred percent down for that. hundred <laughs> percent. And we are back in the sports world. Athletes, coaches, media, they all do interesting things. And we say, you're being a distraction. Get back to watching game film. That's ridiculous. I know, you know, we all know life is just work and the things that distract us from work. So on this show, we end every week by talking about what's distracting us. And to do this, we're dialing up my co-host here, Gareth Hughes, seven-time Emmy-winning sports producer in our Brooklyn bureau. Gareth, how's cancer? Yeah, this is this one's funny to talk about. I have okay. found one of the most annoying side effects. So I have switched to a pill-based chemotherapy. It is going very well. Knock on wood. Um, so far, so good. But I have one side effect, which given my years of enjoying marijuana usage i should be immune to but i have and this was predicted industrial strength like prescription strength dry mouth and dude it is awful and i get like mouth sores and so like the mouth sores are gross and you got to put stuff on them and special mouthwashes but dude the dry mouth like i'll be on a call and all of a sudden it hits you and it's like, dude, did you do four bong rips in the middle of this call? <laughs> and it's like, no, I, no. I'm sorry. I just, I have to drink water with lemon because I can't talk. Like it's just, I wake up in the morning and my tongue feels like a sausage. 
uh it's awful and like that's one of my favorite things jokingly about cancer is like finding the stupid shit to complain about and like dry mouth is definitely high on the list so like (laughs) how's cancer cancer sucks because i feel like i've eaten a cotton ball all the time so well look you and i were trading texts about what to do for distractions this week and i i flipped you a note and i think it's one of those times where i'm like hey this sounds like a good idea until i take it way too seriously i don't know about you but i'm guessing you did too So you texted me out of the blue the other day and you issued a playlist challenge. And I, look, I like the way I'm talking about this because I'm talking about this like in terms of like that we are in the Guy Fieri universe and all of a sudden you issued some like, <laughs> uh, like, you know, we're on Guy's Grocery Games and it's like, oh, Brad has issued a playlist challenge. Like, dun, 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 like interstitial <laughs> wipe. And here we go. So you put out a challenge to make a playlist of best 90s music which in and of itself is fine now what i've been struggling with with playlists and i've been making a lot of them with my daughter this winter for various reasons and exploring different genres of music is the way we make them is we will make a 100 song five hour playlist and you just put it on shuffle with like tons of songs by one artist in in a genre like our old time country playlist i've mentioned on here is awesome but it's also like five hours long. And so you listen to it all day. Sometimes it feels a little bit like you're in a Brooklyn coffee shop that decided to put on the country playlist or the reggae playlist or something. But my approach to these at this point is to just go long, heavy on whatever artist you need to tell the story of whatever you're trying to tell and a lot of songs. And so what you did that made this interesting was it was 90s music limited to... 10 songs and one very 90s DD trope hidden track. And it was a mixtape challenge. I, I legitimately said, you got to yes. think of this as a mixtape, which I think is a loaded question because I don't know about you, but my first pass at this, and we'll, we'll get into like what didn't make a cut, what did, and we had to expand. We eventually moved to, okay, 11 songs and one hidden track, 12 is as, as high as we'll go. But what I said was, when I first started writing down like what I would put on there, I'm like, this is just like the most boring shit. It's like all my favorite bands. It's all the usual suspect songs. So what I did was pivot to my old mixtape mentality, which was I'm going to start with kind of like genre. Like I want track two to be like this. And then what songs are like that? And then I started making lists like that. And you'll see as we go, how that totally fed into my my style and how I ended up with a very different 90s tape than than what I would have if I had just laid down like my favorite 90s tracks. Well, so the, here's here's a big problem that I had. Like, first of all, the 90s were a very long decade. <laughs> you know, like it went from the time <laughs> we were 11 to the time we were 21. <laughs> so like that is a lot of music in there and then do you want to do the songs that were your your favorites in the 90s or in that moment or is it the songs that you then maybe in the 2000s like went back and fell in love with um i struggled with that a lot um i I hate how short it is dude i love it it made the whole (laughs) no no it, it made the whole thing worth it because it made it an actual challenge 
but like what the fuck <laughs> you know <laughs> like i also um, i also kind of leaned in on it's it, like my car theory which is like oh these are like cla- like here's a good example smells like teen spirit by nirvana it's a classic 90s song if i got into your car i would absolutely be fine with it but would i be mm-hmm. playing it in my car probably not so like i'm like i'm not going to do that i'm going to lean into like things that i'm passionate about and it's going to take me down some frankly potentially embarrassing roads Garrett. <laughs> i didn't try to stay away from embarrassment i tried to i tried to represent my view of the 90s i also put in one song that is hanging on by a thread right now that is i have two songs on here that are just straight 90s like trash you know what i mean like no like but i, have, I love i them. have one or two so. depending on how you you look at it too well I, look let's get into it because this okay. is gonna be a lot of fun i'm excited do you want to go first or you want me to go first I, I can I can do this easily. My opening song on my '90s mixtape is "Closer" by Nine Inch Nails. Okay, interesting. Now I have a question. Yeah. Why, why that song in that spot? So the first concert I ever saw was Nine Inch Nails on the Further Down the Spiral tour, and so when I went, I had to include something from Nine Inch Nails. Was that in Dayton? It was in Dayton at Harry. My mom wouldn't let me go. Remember, he can't. Trent canceled it. We were on our way. I was driving with like John Cleefeld and Kevin Vaughn, and then he canceled. And then, did I sell you my ticket? Is that mom read an article about how the like the Jim Rose traveling circus and was like, yeah. you can't go. <laughs> yeah, I, she. I might have. I went alone. My parents drove me. Um, that was a terrifying but cool experience to do that alone. Like after doing that alone, I felt like. I could do a lot of things, you know, like, <laughs> um, look, I just didn't have anybody else in my life. Like maybe besides you who was already out that I could have <laughs> gone with. And so I wanted to go and I went, that album meant so much to me at the time. And I look, I think there are other songs on that album. Like any, that album is incredible. I think any song from that album could have gone on this mixtape, but I think Closer is the quintessential. I think that's their best album of the 90s. Like, that's better than Pretty Hate Machine or either of the EPs they put out. And I think that it meant the most to me. I also think Closer, Closer, even though it was a hit and even though it was ubiquitous for a summer, is an outstanding song with an outstanding video. Somebody described the video on Twitter this past year as like, what's the video going to be, Mark Romanek? And he's like, uh, okay, so nothing but sacrilegious or hypersexualized imagery for about four and a half minutes. We work some deformities in there, freak everybody out, and then we go, yeah, sounds like a plan, dude. I love this. Let's I, I can honestly say yeah. I feel like the movie Seven is the sequel to the closer video. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't, um, okay, I love this choice. I think it's I think it's truly inspired. Let me And I also it, it grabs you and pulls you into the nineties suit. Like that song, there's no yeah, mistaking what era we're in. So there you go. All right. Here's my track one. I wanted a banger intro song. And I, I flirted with a lot. Like the things I was thinking about were like Smells Like Teen Spirit, Cherub Rock, Sabotage, like Alive by Pearl Jam. Didn't even think of the smashing pumpkins and now i hate myself so <laughs> i honestly i did 
I got over the Smashing Pumpkins not being on my list real quick. I was like, I'm pretty good without any melancholy songs under consideration after no, about two seconds. Dish and Siamese Dream are both those are great albums, good. but like I don't yeah. know, Chair Brock's cool, like Rocket's cool. Where do they really fit? I didn't want the, the mayonnaise the, is good. What's the um the popular ballad? Um, I used uh, to be disarm. Yeah, disarm. I didn't want that. Anyway, I think you know where I'm going. Uh, my number one track one, "Stop" by Jane's Addiction. Yeah, you. I, I figured Jane's was going to be on yours. They are on mine, uh, in a very opposite role. But I, I also get, I also get that opening to my mixtape is "Senoras y Senoras," Those, which is a cool <laughs> intro for your yes. for your tape, man. Yes. It's like yeah, you, you hear have... it, you hear it loud and you, you have the volume cranked so high, you know, the song's going to rip. So you hear like the, dude, and then dude, the person dude, dude, talking. Dude, dude, dude. Yeah. Oh, the way it kicks into like, yeah. again, it pulls you right into the era. They created Lollapalooza. They headlined the first one with nine inch nails, I believe. Um, Didn't you hang out with Perry Farrell once? Uh, it was before the New York Super Bowl a few years ago. It was the, he was one of the rare, celebrities that i've seen out in new york and i actually stopped him he was walking out of the bathroom i was walking in at lure fish bar and i'd said to him i was like harry your music meant so much to me over the years i put summertime roles on so many mixtapes and it got me laid <laughs> and he was just like fuck yeah man that's what i'd love to hear and I, you know what that is what he loves to hear he's a <laughs> sexually pervert like he put sex so out there in that era like Look, I think it's interesting. We came of age in the 90s. That's probably when we realized that sex was a thing. And we both included a band to, to kick this off in Nine Inch Nails and Jane's Addiction that were overtly sexual in their music at a time when, frankly, I think, I don't know, it needed some of that, like weirdo sexy stuff. So I, I, mean, I agree. About our age. I got some pretty hot stuff yet to come so just uh <laughs> hang with it real quick i, I don't want to belabor this we got 11 tracks each to go how pissed were you that Fred, like we can some... make this a nine hour I know, podcast I know. this, this is, is like the, this is the the last dance this is our yeah, last yeah. dance 90s yeah. mixtapes um and we would have a, a follow-up podcast about each one of the, each one of these russ um, bangston would host the follow-up that's podcast. Right. yes that's right okay so how pissed were you summertime rolls didn't W like wasn't a 90s song oh you mean that nothing shocking came out in 1988 like in the include <laughs> summertime yeah, roles right. or uh, uh jane says which i also looked up on that yeah i was pissed about that yes thank you all right i'm glad you experienced the same thing and again we're not doing this draft style like we can have the same stuff so it's uh it, track two go okay track two i have this is a little bit one of those late 90s selections or like where i was at in the late 90s by the way i'm fully judging your song flow like how does one thing go into the next thing but this is polar opposites by modest mouse i think this was this should have been a hit like this song should have been an mtv spring break smash where the chorus is i'm trying to drink away the part of the day that i cannot sleep away um, Modest Mouse would prove to have a hit later so they had it in them at all times but that was one of those bands that like they meant a lot to me in college I saw them a few times I saw them once and it was just after my 21st birthday and I don't remember it because their merch guys had gave me a bunch of pills because it was just <laughs> for my birthday um, 
that was a weird <laughs> night but i'm kind of proud like if you're gonna have that experience with any late 90s band i think modest mouse is the one to have it with so yeah there you go that's my number two all right for my number two Coming off Jane's, I wanted like a heavy rocker led by a female singer or female artist. So I was, there was a lot to choose from. You know, look, I thought about some Elastica, Curveball. I thought about Garbage or Cranberries, not really my jam. What it really came down to was L7's Pretend That We're Dead or Mm -hmm. what I landed on, which is Supernova by Liz Fair. A great call. Fuck Liz Fair. God damn. I saw her last year too. Like I went to a Liz Fair concert and I left that off. Did she play Supernova? Oh, yeah. Did she get around to Supernova, Gary? Dude, she, dude, she played all the hits. Like she played yeah. Why Can't I Breathe? Like it was not underrated. A... That album got, there was a distinct shitting on that album phase. And then I think people were like, all right, can everyone just ease off Liz Fair? She finally wanted to get paid. Like, fine. That's. I think a woman in music wanted to get paid and not just be a critical darling. She wanted to be able to like feed her son and buy a house in Chicago. I agree with you hundred percent. I also, the, it happened last year. The person who gave it a 0.0 on pitchfork came out on Twitter and apologized to her. And like, she replied to them and said, thank you. But I like, I've moved on too. And we've all grown since then. And you know, like I forgive you or whatever. Like it was a very sweet, genuine moment um yeah like liz fair is rad and all of her stuff is worth a listen even the the really saccharine pop stuff so i'm all in all right track three for you track three i'm sticking with don't worry we're gonna get we're gonna get out of the snobby stuff soon but i'm staying in that mode again this is a late high school college pick i can only pick one from this band uh, this is Pavements Rattled by the Rush. All right. Is That's my good. number three pick. Yeah. So, I, I, I had a hard time with the late 90s because like things shifted so much and I still so associate early mid 90s with that decade that I was like, oh man, OK Computer is in the 90s. Like all this other Radiohead. Yeah. All this I other mean, stuff is there. Like and I, I didn't know what to do with it. I mean, OK Computer might be my favorite album of the 90s and I left it off because I because I got overwhelmed by the whole exercise. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So track three for me. Look, I've I've gone pretty pretty grungy, pretty rocky. Uh, I'm gonna have to go with some '90s party rap. Changed up. This was really tough for me, man. I was thinking about Wu Tang and ODB and Us Three. Uh-huh. <laughs> Us Three Cantaloupe. Where I D-Light, went. Light Tripod Quest. Coolio. You know, like. Yeah. Where I went was Dr. Dre, Let Me Ride, which is my favorite Dre song and one of my favorite rap songs of all time. And it's a perfect pick. I think it just came out that they, they dropped the chronic on Spotify on 420. Oh, um, beautiful. So now you can listen. That is a new ad to Spotify. But yeah, like, dude, that's a perfect selection. And it's so 90s. You get Snoop in <laughs> it's there. Really, it's really no, 90s. Like, it's perfect. It's perfect. All right, track four so. for you. Okay, here's where I start to I, I'm I'm gonna start to have a little genre fun. I I talked about country music on here a few weeks ago. I don't think that you could grow up where we did in the '90s and not get exposed to a bunch of country music. Garth Brooks is not on Spotify. He would have been my first mm. pick, but there is a clear second pick for me. 
if it's not going to be Garth. And my fourth song on my mixtape, coming off pavement, is Chattahoochee by Alan Jackson, oh, which man. I can sing every word to, and I love it to death. I so. am here for this content, <laughs> sir. But dude, it's also a song like you couldn't help but learn every word to it just by osmosis. Like you didn't have to seek it out. You just learned it. Exactly. There Uh, you go. That's, that's inspired. That is inspired. Thank you. Okay. My track four, I want a piano jam. Okay. Dude, I was wondering if you weren't going to go with the song from the piano. (laughs) Uh, you know what? <laughs> if I had another day or two, that might end up in, in in one version of this. I'm going with... I, okay, look. I think the obvious place people would assume for me would be Tori Amos, since I clearly stan Tori. But mm-hmm. I'm going to go with what I think is the... And I think she's my favorite kind of piano-centric artist. But mm-hmm. I'm going to go with what I think is the best piano song of that decade, which is Criminal by Fiona Apple. That's a great pick, and it just shows. Like I've been listening to her new album, and I think it's fantastic. But man, she has had a long career, and like I, I the day her new album came out last Friday, I was texting some friends, and I was like, "This is either the best new contemporary album I've ever heard, or like every album I ever heard in the '90s was preparing me for this." You know, like <laughs> I haven't heard any of the new stuff. It's getting like rave reviews, so I'm gonna have to check it out. It's fantastic, but it's still like. And like she has a lot of rhythm on there. She's definitely in a groove. She has she's great on that. But like she can still play a fucking piano lick, man. She is awesome. And let me say this: it is a driving, rocking piano jam. It is not like a ballad. If you listen to that, you're like, all right, this is moving. It's got interesting sounds, like interesting texture to it, and it's it's kind of a it's a good way coming out of a party song to like get the just get the the rhythm up a little bit it's rock but it's 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 its own genre in a way i i really also flirted with ben folds here but i just mm-hmm. couldn't align on something that i like i would have liked from the 90s for this spot so i also think that you did pick something that is aging better than ben folds and ben folds isn't an embarrassing pick but fiona apple is still hyper relevant so i love this all right we're track five we're coming up to the end of our side ones uh, I hope you're ready for prom, Brad, because I'm going to fade into you. I really thought about Mazzy Star myself. I didn't end up going there, but I was like, ah, <laughs> we might need to do this. Dude, this is a beautiful song. It's still a beautiful song. I have played this song for my kids. I like This album was definitely, like, along with Summertime Rolls, like, college makeout album. So tonight that I might see was, like, you know, I don't know. That was like Gene Jam music, dude. The, <laughs> so, like, the, the ballad that I got closer to was Wicked Game by Chris Isaac. And I very, just, oh, wow. I just couldn't commit to it. I was like, uh, or like Possession by Sarah McLaughlin. I was really thinking about a lot of this shit. But that was our prom theme. So I had to go with it for the personal touch. Yeah, dude. When we, we planned that so, prom, that was junior year, right? And, yep. All right. My, my number five. Okay, this is like this is Garrett. This to me is the creme de la creme of my mix skills, yeah. because we're coming up to the end. This is the last like true song on side one for me. I okay. want it to be a self indulgent rocker, which I know you'd probably think that I'm going to go three days by Jane's Addiction or something like that. 
But the piano is the link. I wanted to come out of um, Criminal and hit me with another piano that like builds and builds and builds for minute on end, which is why I've chosen November Rain by Guns and Roses. Wow. I really... <laughs> there's no... See, look, there, I thought long and hard about REM on mine, and I knew you would take care of REM. So that's that's a given. So that's done. But then there is no hair metal either and we always said that Jane's was that band that fit the bill between hair metal and rem uh or guns and roses and rem and i really salute you for putting november rain on there it's epic the it's best epic hair metal song. would be 80 if we did this again for 80s you'd see like motley Crue or van halen or something in there but like, no, GNR... but like guns, and Ro- guns and roses was awesome they were a great band and appetite is a great album like you can you can go your whole life and not listen to Poison and you won't have missed out on anything, but you will have missed out if you never heard Appetite or one album's worth of Use Your Illusion material. <laughs> so. I'm really more of a spaghetti incident guy. No, I'm, I'm kidding. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, that's track, very 2000. Track six. Okay, so this is the beginning of side two, you're saying. No, no, no. It, well, it's 12 songs, so you can you can choose what when you when you quit. All right, cool. And then I, this is... Thank God for 12 songs. I'm feeling a little bit better about things. I am going to end. We're keeping it a little on the the mid-tempo because that's sort of where I get stuck anyway. Um, I'm going with Cream by the Wu-Tang Clan to yeah. finish it out. I mean, like that was... It was on my short list. It was uh, such a... That was such an important one for... That album was so big. So anyway. Um, Shout out to Brendan O'Donnell yeah. uh, for introducing me to East Coast rap <laughs> uh, in uh, like the mid-90s, way later than I should have uh, should have been uh, partaking. <laughs> well, that, good work, Brendan. So um, right, here's my... Uh, how are you closing outside one? Okay, it's my hidden track. My strategy being November rain hits, and if I just want to go fast forward to the end of the tape, flip over, I can, or I can let this ride. And our hidden track philosophy was, it doesn't have to be a literal hidden track, but it can't be like what you would deem like a traditional full song. It's got to be either weird, esoteric, short, something odd. Gareth, January of 1990. This, the uh, early This 90s. CD came out. This I got this tape. I got this cassette. Huge influence on me and my transition from like regular kid to weird kid. It's Particle Man by They Might Be Giants. Yo, played that for the kids last week. Tremendous, (laughs) tremendous album. And it's only Um, like two minutes. I thought about like Istanbul, but then I was like, "Eh, it's too, it's a real song. Istanbul is a real song. I got to go more something that is just weird. I thought about like, not a surf popular. I thought about like Mary Moore. She's a vegetarian. Well, dude, I'm telling you, like that's where I have my piece of '90s trash coming up. So, um, all right. Hey, this is yeah. good. We're, we're one. We're 25 minutes into this thing. It's we're yeah. halfway through. <laughs> Love it. All right. Well, Side you know, two. I've got the. All right. We're starting it off. We're going. Uh, we're taking my trip to Seattle. I'm going to start it with. I Stay Away by Alice in Chains. Um, it's a great pick. I, I it would not have been my Alice song, but that's a great pick. Listen, I think that that is affected by my age 100%. Like, I think I go back to that song more than I do anything from Dirt. 
like the more aggressive album of Dirk. I also just remember when Jar of Flies came out and like that, that like the strings on that song just kind of floored me. Like I'd never heard anything like that. And I loved it. And I, if I was being honest with myself about the 90s and 90s music for me, I was like, look, I went through that phase where I listened to a lot of Alice in Chains, a lot of Pearl Jam. And I think I just liked Alice in Chains more than Pearl Jam. And I was like, so I have to put one of them on there. I have to put one Alice in Chains song on there. So that's what I chose. What's your what, favorite? Would your, what, what would your Alice in Chains pick have been? Uh, I would have gone. I I, would, I couldn't decide like if Rooster. Uh, I love Junkhead. I love Down mm-hmm. in a Hole. Shout out Dan Pribble. Um, but I I also really like that song. I like Man in the Box. Uh, I like that song from uh, the Clerks soundtrack. Clerks soundtrack has a few like the credit song on that kills me. Um, the opening credits from Chasing Amy, like the little plinking guitar song, kills me. Kevin Smith. Came up with some great, great soundtrack material. So I'm with you on that. All right. My side two needs to kick off with a, another banger, but I want it to be what I called a Birkenstock banger. So it's got to be a little <laughs> bit more that side of me. I thought mm-hmm. about like a Dave Matthews band recently, like from their pre, even their pre under the table time. I thought about some early like Beck, some like one foot in the grave Beck or, or even loser. But dude, Beck I had to... was a Beck was a hard knock for like leaving Beck off was hard for me. I agree. So, but I had I had to go here, man. It's a band I've Whoa. seen twice, well past their prime. <laughs> it's Rusted Root Ecstasy. You did it! Oh my god, you put Rusted Root <laughs> on there. No, Brad. Here's here's part of the problem. I think you saw Rusted Root in their prime which is part of the issue and like because i was at at least one of those shows i mean yeah um which song like the send me on my way the greatest video ever made no ecstasy man do you know ecstasy i don't know that one though bum, 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 bum. Okay, you have to. You have to go. Like, you're gonna have to Google that one. Yeah. I'll, I'll, you're gonna post it, and I'm gonna listen to it, and I can't wait. <laughs> I will try to. So. I'll try to weave in a couple cuts in here. You have to be careful because then, like, Spotify rips you down or uh, right, SoundCloud right. or whatever. All right, you're a uh, uh, song eight. Uh, this one was not hard, although it was something that I got way more into as the '90s went on. Uh, it was Outcast. Southern playlist of Cadillac music, the title track off their first album. This could have been any number of other rap songs. Uh, I had Ice Cube's Bird in the Hand from um, Death Certificate, which is probably my favorite rap album. I also had the Ghetto Boys Minds Playing Tricks on Me in this same spot. But I ended up going with Outkast, frankly, because I've listened to more of them in the last year than any of the others. So that's my pick. That's pretty great. Um, I'm also going hip hop here. I wanted something more socially conscious. <clears throat> I went to an unexpected place, Gareth. But when Tupac I score? Uh, no, even more unexpected. I could only describe this. This song is totally different, like on your headphones, than just super loud on a very good car stereo. Mm-hmm. It's Tennessee by Arrested Development. 
I was going to say Diggable Planets is a joke, but it's the same ballpark. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that song holds up. And the end when it's like, oh, won't you let me? I could, ju- I, you know me, man. I like a good build. I like, la- give me layer on layer on layer. I love yep. that song. I wanted to capture like early kind of transition hip hop. And I think it's perfect coming out of ecstasy. I love it. I love the pick. And I also look, that is a very, think of the, think of the fashion at play in there. Like that is a very nineties pick and I love you for it. So (laughs) well done. All right. You're, you're nine. All right. My nine, here's where I'm bringing it back to, like I said, straight up. This is the (laughs) nineties. They dated the lead singer dated, might've even married Liv Tyler. It's in the meantime by Space Hog. What? What is that song? I can't even think of it. Oh, buddy, you can definitely think of it. Uh, I'm about to play something for you here. <laughs> okay. I thought this was ca- Candlebox. <laughs> oh no! There you go. So have some '90s there. Like, I love this song. It samples the Penguin Cafe Orchestra. So, like, they're snobby. He was married to Liv Tyler. I almost put on some of the, like, Aerosmith 90s revival stuff. Like, with the Alicia (laughs) Silverstone. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, that was a big part of the early 90s. And they were in the Terminator. Like, oh, whatever. Long and short of it, I settled on this as my like just straight up '90s pick. I have a Space I, Hogs in the meantime. I have a even. I I think my my pick that's in the same uh, genre as as this will supersede yours when I get to it. And not this song, the next song. All right, my okay. my track nine is closer by Nine Inch Nails. It had to be on there. Okay. It is pure '90s. It is a jam, and again, a big build. You get like the last. Most of my songs have like the last three minutes are just like extra instruments right? just like right. keep them coming yeah so like same question to you then why did you pick that over other possibilities i didn't need any deep cuts from trent i was like i'm not putting reptile on here i'm not putting you know like happiness and slavery yeah like i'm not putting the broken video <laughs> you know, like, yeah it was it honestly like that song holds up it's really musical. He was very musical. And like it was also it's also just like really energetic, really aggressive. I, I just think it that's that's the difference between him and Marilyn Manson. He, Marilyn Manson was like aggressive, but I didn't he wasn't musical to me. It just wasn't right. It wasn't interesting. I don't know. Okay. Our I, last I don't three ever each. need to listen to Marilyn Manson ever again. Right. You know yeah. what I mean? Like <laughs> right. whereas Nine Inch Nails, I do want to hear. So wait, let me ask you just clarification are these our last three and then we have the hidden track no no these are the last three uh, i gotta make a tough cut here and it's about like how cool do i want to be versus how cool i actually was in the 90s um <laughs> which is i'm gonna make the hard cut which is goodbye neutral milk hotel uh <laughs> you mean more to me than just about any other band imaginable um, I love you so much and seeing you is one of the great live events of my life, but you're off this list. Cause really I didn't listen to you until the year 2000 anyway. So goodbye Holland, 1945 
Uh, after, in the meantime, I'm sliding into Nirvana's Where Did You Sleep Last Night from the yeah. Unplugged album. I, look, I think that that evening of music was basically as close to our generation got to Ed Sullivan and the Beatles as a moment. I think that that moment was sort of like, it was a moment where I discovered what dark music, like music could be dark and beautiful all at the same time. I'd never seen anything like it. I watched it live babysitting for a kid down the street because we didn't have cable. And yeah, so that's my, that's my second to last bit. That's a really inspired Nirvana choice. Cause I think that's, that's them doing really, really interesting stuff in that entire performance. Um, well, and he's also, they've also said that like at that point, he, Kurt Cobain and, and Michael Stipe were really close and Kurt Cobain wanted to kind of go into more of a, an acoustic sort of string oriented direction. And this is what the result would have been. And I read somebody was basically, was like, he was about to pull a reverse Bob Dylan. Like he had reinvented and reinvigorated rock music and then was going to do the same thing for folk before he killed himself. And yeah. I, it would have been amazing to see him do it. So, all right. My number 10, um, was is my guilty pleasure and i i looked at a lot of stuff but uh including hold me kiss me <laughs> kill me thrill me or whatever by you two from the batman movie uh bro one of my last cuts was kiss from a rose so <laughs> you know uh that's my one of my last cuts was duran duran's ordinary world which is kind of cut from the same cloth fantastic song so but this is my truly guilty pleasure a song that i don't own but i would never turn off the radio which is Possum Kingdom by the Toadies. <laughs> Oof, what that is an awful song, but I love that you did it. I love that so. song, man. Dude, the end. Just do you want to die screaming? That's it's dark. It's weird. I don't know, man. I love yeah. that song. Do you want to die? Okay, my last two. Uh, so my technical album closer is. Okay, see what you did first. I'll do Classic Girl by Jane's Addiction is my album closer. Oh, and that's lovely. Brad, to your logic on stop, I then get the talking at the end of that where they say, good night, good night. Uh, that, yeah, that definitely might have been uh, a mixtape wonder for me as well. Dude, you put Classic Girl on for a girl and then you put it at the end with the good night there. And you're in bed. It's oh yeah, it, like Perry. Again, if you're listening to this, Perry Farrell, I want to tell you for the second time in my life, you really did me a solid through high school, like <laughs> in college. So thank you. Um, my number. That's a great pick, by the way. My, my number eleven, um, second to last track. Okay, I cut out of this spot. Lightning crashes by Live. As you all know. I take a lot of credit for discovering live on a trip to Baltimore <laughs> before they were popular. I rode hard with them as they got popular. I was known as like, oh, he was kind of way in on them or the, with the pain lies on the Riverside days and whatever. But I had to cut that out because I just wanted my tape to be more fun. I wanted something like poppy and hot and sexy and just goofy, which is why I'm going cream by Prince. <laughs> <laughs> wow, dude, good pick. Like some of that, like really raunchy, right? Prince stuff from the '90s was hot. It's like I loved it. Like um, "Get Off" 
Oh it's a yeah, great Prince song. You know, so. really bad videos, but great songs. And I I also flirted yeah. with like a Madonna, like Power of Goodbye or Secret or like that uh that song from the Joe Pesci Harvard movie. And I'm like, nah, I'm just going Prince Cream, bro. I love that song. Yeah, no, no great pick. Listen, I think that I don't want to give us too much credit here. We're not heroes per se. Nobody's going to clap out the front window for us at seven o'clock tonight, but. I think we did a good job in this exercise of embracing some of the idiosyncrasies of the nineties and not shying away from them. You yeah. know what I mean? All we, right, so we did that. Yeah, exactly. All right. So your, your final pick hit me with uh, your, your bonus track. I have one more real song. Well, so my bonus track, um, you know, Beck always had bonus tracks if you recall, but they were like loud and obnoxious. Like he ended all his albums with like a beautiful song. And then if you had the misfortune of letting it play, like 50 tracks later, you'd hear like, <laughs> you know, like Apex twin. You know, <laughs> yeah. It was like a donkey meets a modem. And that's what you got to end the album. One of the best hidden tracks of the nineties and nine inch nails also had a couple great ones was crackers, Euro trash girl, which was track yeah. 69 yeah. bro on kerosene hat. And so that thing. is my, that is my secret track. I mean, Cracker, you, know, you don't get much more 90s than that band. And Is the there fact no was, fish? Is there no fish on your album? No, listen, man, I have to tell you, like, fish to me was, I fell hard in 95. I think in hindsight, I was probably sad that I never got to see The Grateful Dead and I wanted the next best thing. I went hard on fish through the summer tour of 98, which included doing most of that summer tour. I then realized in hindsight, between 95, 96, 97, 98, I kind of saw the best, arguably four of the best years they ever existed. And I, when I broke up with them, it's like the scene in Adaptation where he was just like done with fish. You know, like I walked out of a big festival in Maine in 1998, like sw- at the end of seeing like 10 shows in two weeks, I was miserable. I was just about to break up with my girlfriend who had been at those shows. And I walked out of that place. I was like, I never want to hear this band again. (laughs) And when I like, when I left that air force base, they were like, I, I don't want to say they were done. They were mostly done, (laughs) you know? (laughs) So, so anyway, so like when I look back on the nineties, you know, there's, I, I, first of all, their albums are terrible. I saw some great shows and had some great times and I have zero regrets about doing it, but like, I don't go back there and I could look, I could throw on some 18 minute long mic song that I saw and be very happy about it. And it would be representative of a certain period of my life for sure. But man, I, when I left it, when I left that Loring air force base, I left it behind. So yeah, none. And look, my final track, the final track on automatic for the people are arguably the most important album to me. Find the river. I think superior to night swimming. That might be a hot take mm-hmm. for folks, but it's a beautiful song and it's a lovely way to end, especially after cream by <laughs> Prince, which I didn't think through until right now. Yeah. All right. This um, was fun, man. We've been dude, this doing this a, long this enough. We both got to go, exercise. but this was fun. Well, maybe we'll, maybe we'll revisit exercise. the 2000s or some, find something else to do like this. And, uh, you know, and good to hear from you as always. Hey, man. Thanks for, uh, this was a great distraction this week. Everybody, Stay safe, stay sane, be well. And hell yeah, dude. Like, we've got, we're old and we have decades behind us. So let's just get started <laughs> on the 2000s. All right. That's our show for this week. 
Uh, we're probably you're probably all full of '90s talk by this point, but it was awesome to have Russ on. So shout out to him. Go check out After the Last Dance again. Him and Alex Wong doing that ten part podcast series with episodes airing after each uh, episode of the documentary on ESPN. And uh, more to come. Again, I've been just been trying to pull together shows, keep you all entertained, and uh, more stuff brewing in the near future. For now. Uh, Go dig out your 90s CDs, your 90s cassettes, and in the immortal words of 90s super rapper Shaquille O'Neal. Booty rappers, stay booty. Booty.